So we're, we're coming to the church at um, Smyrna, and um, in, in light of what I was just uh, saying, half tongue-in-cheek but half not, um, kind of, I used to do this a lot, and I haven't done it in a while, and I'm kind of building back into um, the better way to do it, and thankfully I am married to a teacher who is a very, 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 very good teacher, and so she says, honey, and, uh, and then I listen. Uh, very, very closely, and she said, and all I did on, on this last time is I went through and just typed out questions, and I meant for it to be kind of like, for your, to spur your thinking, and you could look it up, and she said, we couldn't find what you were answering, when, whatever, so I made a lot of notes tonight, and then wrote the questions off my notes, so that will be better um, it, but at any time you have a question that I haven't covered or I, you think I've skipped over something or there's more, please just go, hey, wait a minute, and, and say it because this is meant to be interactive and I'm not an interactive guy. I'm a lecturer. That's how I teach and that is not the best way uh, for most cases. So, so um, please don't, you don't interrupt. It does not matter. You're not interrupting me. If you need me to stop, um, like in a sermon, I, I used to almost have zero notes. I used to have like a few words and would go. And so I always told people, if you say amen, I won't lose my place because I'm just kind of going with it anyway. And I'm going to go ahead and warn you, um, I, there was a lot that I wanted to write down and it was just going to kill my hand to do it. So I've got a, where I got some information on here. So at some point I'm going to pick that up, just make sure I get it correctly. Um, so... This is the second church listed uh, here in Revelation chapter 2. And so I'll, let me read uh, the, the passage, and then we'll have prayer, and then we'll jump into it, okay? Is that good with everybody? Glad to see you all back. Uh, the rain's setting in. It's going to be really cold next few days, so uh, y'all just prepare for all that. Well, this is Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness and kindness. Lord, we thank you for these letters to the churches. Um, uh, Lord, uh, they are meant for us to also find uh, wisdom and help in them. And so we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would... Open our eyes to see what you want us to apply into our own lives today. Um, so we thank you for that. We thank you that you, your spirit is here to do that, that he shows us what we need to know about Christ, and you open our eyes to those things. So in Jesus' name, we thank you, and we are overjoyed at, at your presence with us tonight, um, for indeed you promised it, and so we believe it. We know that you are here. So we ask you to... Uh, uh, just bind our enemy and keep him away from us so that we can uh, understand and apply in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, yeah, saying that, last week I didn't make a lot of good practical application to us. I'm not going to try to go back and do that tonight. Right now I didn't prepare myself to do that, but that's what I am going to try to do somewhat tonight. So, Smyrna, what a name. Uh, that's, that sounds like a name for a silly cartoon, doesn't it? Smyrna. Um, I don't know, but you know, there's a Smyrna, Georgia, but why is it called Smyrna? Smyrna, Tennessee. Oh, Smyrna, Tennessee. But why is that? Because it's in the Bible. And what's that? And of Smyrna and Delaware. Okay. So there's a lot of Smyrnas in, in North America. So you got, if you go to look up Smyrna, you got to put in more than the word Smyrna. You put in Smyrna, Revelation, or Smyrna Church, and then you'll get, get some uh, good information. So um, I have access to exactly the same amount of information as you do now, so... Um, it, it makes it a little more intimidating to do what I'm doing, um, but, uh, but, we can, but you will find different opinions and different ideas, and we could talk about those if you ever do that. That's, that's awesome to do. Um, so let's talk about Smyrna. 
what does this name mean, Smyrna? That's why I was kind of making fun of it. I'm not actually, but words and sounds, those things have always been part of like my personality. I hear people say something, and it strikes me differently than they say it. It hits me funny, and then I'll laugh, and they don't know what I'm laughing at, but it's just the sounds of it sometimes is, is, is all it means. And I've noticed that. I pass that on to my kids. They do a little bit of the same thing. It'll, like, did you mean to say that? You know, it'll sound different. Smyrna comes from the word, are you ready, myrrh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And in fact, I'll give you uh, another reference, and it's John uh, 19, and it's about the burial of, uh, of Jesus, and I marked it, and, but I don't make myself memorize where it was. Uh, here it is, Jesus is buried. So in verse 39, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So myrrh was used to embalm Jesus for the three days, the brief, quick embalming. And just a side note, just in case you don't know, remember the Bible says it was the eve of the, of the, of the Sabbath, but it was also the eve of, of the Passover. It was the biggest, you know, it's the biggest church day of the year for them. And so they had to get him in the tomb quickly, and they knew they couldn't get back till Sunday. And so there was probably still a lot of spices used, but they would, they would wrap the, they'd put down the spices, wrap the body, put down spices, wrap the body. And if done properly, it would be hundreds of pounds of spices. So Jesus is wrapped, and it just said one of those spices was myrrh. So it's kind of interesting because Smyrna is going to have persecution and death happening in the church. And we see that that was used in the death of Christ. And so you'll really catch on to that in just a second. The location of this is 35 miles about north of, of Ephesus, uh, which is the church we looked at last week, the very first church. And um, something, well, a lot interesting about that. And I just gave hints there. And there's not much room, but you've got a lot of room on the back if you don't have a separate notebook and you want to write some of this down. It was, it was a very prosperous port city. It, it was like Ephesus. If you need a piece of paper, one of these, you want, we got enough for everybody. We just didn't copy as many because last week we had a few less, so we copied a few less to start. So we got plenty. Thank you, uh, Candy, for that. Um, so uh, it, it was a prosperous and wealthy um, seaport, and they were, so they were in contention with Ephesus. Do you remember... Uh, the, the advertisement uh, campaign for Avis car rental back in the 80s. Uh, we're number two, we try harder. So that's kind of, I, I just thought of that because I'm older, so I think of older illustrations a lot. Uh, that, that's sort of smart. They're trying harder. But that here, here was their advantage. They were a, they adopted the Roman gods very, very early. Um, and so, um, let me make sure I wrote down everything I want to say here. Um, uh, that does not look right. Oh yeah, 195 BC, they erected a temple to the goddess of Rome. Okay, so that was almost 200 years before, ostensibly about the time of the birth of Christ. But in 25 BC, the, many cities were contending for the privilege of erecting a temple uh, to Emperor Tiberius, and guess who won? Smyrna won that contest. I don't know why, but I guess they paid him off enough or something. But here's what I found interesting. If you're here the first night, I talked about ancient gods and how that they're still the same gods, and the Roman gods are the same gods as in Babel, and from the beginning till now, it's the same gods, diff different names in different cultures and all that, but it's the same demonic entities. And And... When the Bible says they're not gods or they're false gods, that does not mean they don't exist. It means they do exist. They're the fallen uh, uh, angelic or created beings that God created in rebellion against him, and they reveal themselves with some sort of power to men, and men think they are gods. That's, that is a better way to look at them. Why would God say, have no other gods before me if there were not other gods to have before him? So that's just a bit of logic. makes you think that way a little bit to help you out. But guess what that temple was built to? Not only was it built to Emperor Tiberius, but also to his mom, 
Julia. And so, remember I told you about the mother-son thing from the beginning on. So that was, he was making that picture, my mom is like a god and I'm her son and so I'm a god. So it was a, the same deal. And so he let, and my grandmother's name was Julia, so that kind of bugs me a little bit. But her, na her other name was also Agnes, and we say Agnes day to day, right? So, right? Yeah, I say Agnus, that's how you're supposed to say it, but we say Agnes in English. So um, anyhow, what does it mean? I forget what it means. Lamb. Lamb of God. So there you go. That would have been a hint, I guess, is what you're saying. Okay, good. Um, I can make fun of myself, y'all. Please, you feel free to join at any point. What? Well, yes. I don't know why I have trouble with that, but anyway, I was going to say, welcome to Calvary, where we heckle our own. Okay, so uh, that, that's, uh, that's a good way to look at it. I, I actually enjoy the interchange. I enjoy being teased. That, that, that does not bother me. Um, so anyway, it, 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 that's, that was, shows that they were very entrenched in Rome, but that also is going to show a problem a little bit later. Um, and they were... They had a reputation as the first city of Asia. Now, Ephesus is bigger, but they are kind of, we're the first city. We, way back 200 years ago, we already adopted Rome. We, we, we got that. So they're, they're kind of proud of that. So that's some of their distinctives. Uh, that was what I was talking about, their location, their name, and their distinctives. So they're, they're well entrenched in, in, uh, in reputation uh, with the city uh, or with the, the uh, nation of, of Rome. So um, the, the second thing is, remember in every letter, it begins with what? A what? Well, yeah, it, it is a greeting, um, but, but there's something very distinctive each time. It, it's, it's the same, but each one is different. Description of Christ, right. From where? From chapter 1. Every, every description of Christ, it was said in chapter 1. Come on in, man. Good to see y'all. Come on in. Um, every one of those descriptions harkens back to chapter 1. So they're all there. And then, and so the Lord put that there to pull it out and speak to each church according to their need. Do you know that is a hint to prayer as well? If... Um, if you felt weak and powerless and, and, about, and you, there was a job you had to do and you go to God to ask for his help, what name of God might you use? We sang it this morning. Yeah, Almighty God. You have all power and I need some power. You know, uh, The God who provides, I have a need. You are the God who provides. So you could use a title of God to... to enhance your mind uh, in prayer and to approach God with that name. So I, I don't think this is accidental, obviously it's not, that we're reminded of who Jesus is, and there's four words, but it's two phrases, but it includes four words, and, and as you look at it, what is that identity? He is the, in verse 8, first and the last, and died and came to life. So what you're going to discover in this church, I've already told you, is they're going to suffer persecution. So it's kind of interesting, too, that this morning it happened to be a little bit about persecution, and now tonight we're going to talk about that some. So, so they're going to experience persecution and death. So if, if somebody's got that gun to your head, what do you want to be assured of in that moment? This ain't the end. This is, this is just a transition. And so Jesus reveals himself, I'm the first and the last. I was here before it started. I'll be here after it's all done. I got it under control. And in fact, as an example, I died and I came to life. And because he, Romans says, because he rose, we too will rise. It's also in Corinthians, right? Because he's alive. Paul said, if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're not going to rise from the dead. And if he didn't rise from the dead, we're not. We're of all men most miserable. Remember? So the, re the, the resurrection of Christ is vital not only to our salvation. Why is the resurrection of Christ vital to our salvation? Yeah. 
Thank you, sir. Amen. Home run. All right. Exactly. If, if he didn't come back from the dead, he was just another Gandhi. Just another Buddha. But the Bible says in Romans 1, he proved to be the son of God by the resurrection of the dead. So that is what made, gave power to everything he taught us. So this church is going to need this encouragement that he's got it under control. He's the first and the last. He began it. He's going to be there at the end of it. He's taking care of all of it in between. But that he died and experienced death, just as they are, may, may do, some of them. But he came back to life that, that you don't have to fear death because you have eternal life. You cannot kill me. You know, uh, it's impossible. I, um, well, I won't go there. Anyway, um, I'll, get, I'll run too fat a rabbit going, doing that. Um, so, by the way, when I was talking about Smyrna, this was the seat of emperor worship. Because of that temple they built 25 years before the birth of Christ, this is the city, the very seat of emperor worship. Now, Jesus was never in this area. Um, this is in Asia. Jesus stayed in, in Galilee, in Israel. So, um, so he, didn't, he didn't approach that up there, but, but that is what they are known for. So we come down to this third thing I have down there, the, the conditions of this church. This is a church that he has no complaint about, okay? There, I, I think it's the only one. I didn't bring that folder with me to look at. Um, there's, there's only, there's one that has nothing good to say about them, and this one has nothing bad to say about them, and this one has nothing bad to say about them. Everything is, is just, I know what you're doing. I know where you are. Let me help you out. He doesn't say, but nevertheless have this against you, as he said in Ephesus. This is just all, this is what I know you are going through. And so when we, we look at it, and it's only four verses here. Did y'all notice that? 8, 9, 10, 11. So it's very concise, and I'm extrapolating, of course, a lot out of that. I know your tribulation and your poverty is the very first two things he says. I know that you are having tribulation, and I know that you are poor. Now, when he says, you're poor, what does he mean? And don't get tricked that I ask the question. Material. It is material, right. And I was going to say, don't get tricked because, because the, obviously they, they felt that way because he says, and you think you're poor. But look what he says in parentheses. But you're rich. So how are they rich? And now Melissa's got it. You know, they're rich spiritually, right? So, um, but we're going to hold on to that for a second because th those things kind of, uh, they do relate. So, God saw them as being rich. Rich people don't have a lot of money. Rich people know God well, right? Poor people are not people that don't have a lot of money. They're people that don't know Christ well. That's just a fact. I've been in nations and places um, I, my favorite illustration of it, so I've probably used it here before, but hopefully none of y'all remember, um, but was in Thailand, and the, all we were doing, it was a Sunday, and we were going to this school, and there was like 15 or 20 kids, and we we're supposed to go, and we're just teaching them a little bit, and uh, my friend over there, Donna, she's been to Thailand a couple times, haven't you? Yeah, you went back and forth. My daughter went there, spent six weeks there one summer. But so we drive out to this little place, and it's just a few kids, and we are kind of teaching them English, but we sang some, some, um, some simple Christian songs, and I know they were simple because the guy that came to play guitar was sick the whole week, never went, and I played the guitar, so um, I know like three chords, so that song had to fit, okay? So it was just, you know, God is so good, God is so good, God is so good, so probably didn't even change the chord, basically. Um, but, but we did that, so, but while we were there, this guy rode up, and Anybody here been to Thailand? All right, a few. All right. In Thailand, you've got this scads of little motorbikes, and then you've got scads of cars. And, and, and so we pull up to a red light one time, waited for it to turn green, and then we went. And when it turned green, my daughter said, I just counted 500 mopeds go by. Now, I don't know if that was an accurate count, but she was one of the people, you know, she was doing as fast as she could. She said it was at least 500. In one light change, I literally saw five people, a family on one. Each one was holding a bag of something because they're going to the grocery store, 
and the mom had the bag and a baby, and it was five on what we would call a moped. It was crazy. So anyway, we're at this school, and this guy comes rolling up on a moped. And by the way, they don't use glasses there. You go into 7-Eleven, buy a drink, they pour it in a plastic bag, give you a straw, and you carry that plastic bag and drink it. And so he had a plastic bag with drink in it on his handlebars. He comes riding up, and he stops, and they tell us his name, and he's just rode 60 kilometers to sing two songs for the kids. He was a believer and just excited as all get out to get to sing two songs to these kids. I'm like, are you kidding me? I know preachers that won't go, well, what's the offering going to be? <laughs> you know, if I show up at your church, how much are you going to pay me? You know, I don't ever invite those guys, by the way. If, I, if I've invited a guy, he doesn't care about money, all right? He may tell me his need, and we may be able to meet that need, but it's not a guy that says, but I won't come if you can't pay me, um, because I don't believe in that. But this church thought they were poor, but they were rich. Now, when Jesus tells you you're rich, all of a sudden your bank account don't matter, <laughs> right? You, you got to believe him because he knows, he knows the truth. So, and by the way, this is in sharp contrast to Laodicea, which we're going to see later. Uh, you don't even have to turn there, but they said, you say you're rich, but you're poor. So you get the opposite at Laodicea. That's the one that is neither hot nor cold. Um, and if you're an 80s Christian music fan, you remember, um, can't get his name out, but now we're living in Laodicea. Um, so it, these people are rich. And then I, I, I said that that poverty thing was important because tribulation and poverty are linked. The tribulation that they're going through and their poverty are linked. Why would that be? Yes, it, it's, it's a vicious cycle, especially in their day. If you're a Christian, well, we're not going to hire you or we're not going to let you work for us or we're not going to do business with you. And so they don't make a lot of money. And if you're poor, you're most, more easily taken advantage of because you're desperate to be able to provide for your family. Um, I'm sure the system wasn't exactly like ours, but you get the idea there. Um, Hebrews 10.34, um, Scripture says this, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So the writer of Hebrews is telling the people to, to hear him, you didn't mind they took away your goods, because who cares? You've got a better possession. Paul, Paul said, and I don't have the reference, so I might have to look it up for me. He said, having all things possessing nothing. Everything is God's, and everything that is God's is ours. So we have it all, but we don't possess it, it's God's. So having everything, but possessing nothing. So this was a church that was in that case. Yes, please. Rome. Mm-hmm. Yes, and didn't we see uh, Paul, uh, remember uh, the, the little um, demon-possessed girl that told fortunes in a certain city, I don't think it was Smyrna, but in a certain city, and um, they cast the demons out of her. He just got irritated because she kept walking behind him going, these men are telling you about the Most High God. And I said, be quiet, in Jesus' name, and cast out the demon. And then everybody got mad at him because they made little idols, and she would tell fortunes, and they'd sell the idols. Um, uh, by the way, I didn't say at the beginning, and, I, and it's not going to change anything at this point. It wouldn't have been if I said at the beginning. We don't know who started the church in Smyrna. It's not recorded in Scripture. We're not sure. Um, so, so we don't know. We know how Ephesus got started. Uh, Paul, that's, that's a pretty big passage in Scripture, but we don't know at Smyrna. So it could have been, it's only 35 miles north of Ephesus. Paul was in Ephesus for two years, and in the space of two years, everybody in Asia heard the gospel. So very possibly somebody got discipled under Paul and all that, got up there and started a church, but we don't know for sure. So it just thought I'd throw that out there. But this church is there, and, and, and that had to happen in the 50s, 60s years 
and this is in the years 90, so it's been 40 or 50 years that church has been functioning, and uh, this is the condition we're finding them in. Thank you for that, uh, Janice, by the way. Um, so spiritually, they are rich, and we've already said that. Um, they're very strong in that. But notice this next word. This is, this is again, something pretty uh, interesting. But you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. There's a lot in that. First of all, the word slander. You may have a translation that says blaspheme. Um, so, uh, this literally interpreted as blasphemy. They are blaspheming the name of the Christians. Now, why would they be blaspheming the name Christian or the Christians? How, how would that work? How would you use that word? And the hint there is, it's not about Rome, it's about the Jews there. Yeah, and that these people are a cult, they're not true, they're not right, they're not real. Now, if, if you've had Judaism since Moses, thousands of years now, and then this guy pops up and says, I'm the Messiah, but you don't look like a king. Like I said this morning, I didn't vote for you. You know, you're not meeting my standard of what a Messiah looks like. And the Jewish leaders, they don't want to give up whatever power they have, and they do not like the Christians. Now, a lot of Jews became Christians obviously, and a lot of the, even the, the, the religious leaders became Christians, but they still had a big struggle with it all. But the rest are going to, I mean, in the South, we'd say they cussed them, you know. They're cursing them. They're like, these guys are false, they're whatever. So they're blaspheming Christ by blaspheming the Christian. Now, this morning we talked about persecution a little bit, And I read some verses where Jesus said, hey, if they hate you, it's not because they hate you, they hate me. Before they hate you, they hate me in you, right? So if we are an example and living for Christ and they're blaspheming, why would you take that personally? You don't have to sweat that. You just go, wow, you just cursed Christ. <laughs> you can curse me. I get it. You're right about me, but... I'm not about the Lord. And so I, I find that use of that word there very interesting, that it literally uh, is blasphemy. My, my version, I think, changed it to uh, slander. But uh, it, it is very, yeah, it does. And it's got a note, so if I look at the note, it probably says blaspheme, uh, because that's the literal translation. Uh, slander is, you can tell the truth, but you shouldn't tell it. It is hot in here, man. Everybody's pulling off the coat. All right. Um, so feel free, um, just leave at least one layer on. Okay. Um, sorry, it's Sunday night, I tell you, I do not have as good an editorial board on Sunday night. It just gets away from me, sorry. Um, but look at those next phrases, who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. I remember as a teenager when we were first learning about end times and all of that, and I had a different idea at that time than I do now about the end time. If you hear it the first time you heard that, if not, it's okay, don't worry about it. But man, we were trying to figure out what is the synagogue of Satan. We were trying to make a, a really big deal out of that. Like, is that a certain church? Is that a certain religion? Is that a certain person? Is it a certain cult uh, uh, or, you know, secret society? And it's not that complicated, is, is what I've come to understand. So, if you've wondered about that a lot, remember these are messages to the churches before he's talking about the big picture of the end, all right? Right now he's warning the churches, guys, you better get ready because it's coming. And so that's still true for us. There's two, at least 2,000 good reasons to be even more prepared today because we're 2,000 years closer to it than we were then. It is coming. We have not lost hope, faith, or belief that it is coming. And every generation seems to have had a time. I, my mom told me one time, and uh, my mom, you know, was an was a older teenager in World War II. Uh, I'm not sure exact age. She was born 26. I'll let you do the math. So she was about 14 when, the, when 1940 hit. 
And so she got a job in, at the Navy base, working for the Commandant and all that, and she, she did that kind of stuff. But, but um, we were just learning about rockets, right? Because who are our rocket scientists in America? Yeah, Nazis, right, exactly. Um, uh, for, uh, hopefully former Nazis. And, um, and so we got those guys, and yeah, they, they, they taught us. And so she said somebody shot a rocket, and you could see it on the street I grew up on. She was born on that street. I grew up on that street. And said, man, everybody panicked thought it was the end of the world in the 1940s. Why? Well, the whole world was at war, you know? And, but it didn't happen. You know, then we, we've gone through other times since then, in those years since, and we're going, man, it's coming, it's coming. Um, first Gulf War, <laughs> we were at a Bible study during the First Gulf War. We were newly married. Uh, I don't even know if Savannah was born yet, but she was. She was just a baby. And we go to this Bible study, and they're like, man, this war's broken out, and everybody's kind of concerned about it. And I said, well, and they were worried. Is it the end of time? I said, don't sweat it. If they attack Israel, then start worrying. And this guy looked at me and said, they just said they launched missiles at Israel. And I went, oh. <laughs> uh, but, of course, um, since we gave them, by the way, the Iron Dome is what, back then, vice president, everybody made fun of him, quail. He, he, as a senator, he got the, that defense system built. It's called the Patriot System, I think, in America. I forget. But anyway, it reads it and stops it. And we gave that to Israel to protect them. And it's still in place, and they're still using it. I'm sure it's upgraded, it's, you know, form 10, you know, 100.3 or something. But, but boy, I went, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, now i got to explain that. And, uh, but the end didn't come. That was in the 90s, you know. And we have all these wars, and we have weird leaders come into power in America. And, you know, whatever side of the political aisle you're on, there's somebody you're not going to like. And then it's like, oh, the end's coming. It may be. We don't know. But I do believe we're marching toward it. And I, if, you, if you read enough of it, you start seeing this thread going through, and it's coming. It's, it, it, everything is getting more and more in place. So anyway, I, I'll, I'll say all that to say, so who, what does it mean that your Jews who say they're Jews but are not. What does that mean? You help me. Tell me. Because i got a whole big list here to tell you, but I want you to help me first. Thank you. Exactly. Um, they say they're Jews, but they are not. Um, and, and by the way, uh, I, I uh, did kind of mess up here a little bit. I've got it right here in my notes. Um, this, uh, maybe I put it, yeah, did you see down there number four, Polycarp, that should have come after blasphemed, they've been blasphemed, now I'm going to open my handy dandy pad, see I did a better job this time, um, Polycarp is a disciple of John who wrote Revelation, so probably John already knows him here, and he becomes the bishop at Smyrna, and then the people of Smyrna put him to death. They were going to burn him to death. And I had a longer story, but I looked at a lot of websites, and I thought it was this one, but it's not, and I didn't have time to, to find it again. But um, now that I've got this open, let me back up a little bit and tell you this. Um, they had wide paved streets and beautiful buildings. I'll just read this to you. The city is noted for its art, its education, its philosophy, science, and a school of medicine, and a very large library. Temples to the pagan gods, Apollo, Asclepia, don't know who that is, Aphrodite, her to her, Cybel, don't know, Emperor Tiberius, and Zeus dotted the landscape in, eight, in, in that city. In AD 26, Rome granted Smyrna the right to erect a temple in honor of Tiberius and his mother Julia. A golden street extended from the temple, connected to every one of those pagan gods' temples. A street of gold went to each of those temples, from that temple. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? So anyway, I said that. Um, it's, it's, so the church is surrounded by a very demonic system, and, I, and I, I didn't paint this picture well enough. Think about this. You're in the church in the center of, one of the centers of pagan worship. So you've got a demonic system dedicated to all these gods, yet... In the midst of this pagan pollution, this church exhibits a powerful testimony 
uh, of purity in the years that Christians are being severely persecuted for their faith. And so we understand how Christ identifies it. The Lord's words were a great encouragement to believers in Smyrna, many who were martyred. Um, and we come down, I'm going to tell you about Polycarp. In A.D. 155, 155 A.D., Polycarp, the famous bishop from Smyrna, was singled out as a leader of the church. They, they asked him in the longer version, they said, you know, deny Christ, recant your faith, and he wouldn't do it. And, of course, the Romans called Christians um, atheists because they didn't accept their gods of Rome. Um, and so he would refuse to do it. And so they're going to burn him at the stake. And they went to tie him up. And he says, you have no need to tie me. And he just walked up to the stake. And he stood there. And basically said, go ahead, light your fire. Uh, he didn't actually say that. And please don't think of the doors. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean to say it that way. It just kind of came out that way. Um, but, the, but the legend, when they lit the fire, it went around him and didn't touch him at first. It just went around like that, like he was protected. But obviously he's going to die that way. But here was his quote as they were going to burn him. He is reported to have said, he was 86 years old at this point, 80 and 6 years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I speak evil of my king who saved me? And then said, torch it, man, light it up. Uh, so pretty, pretty awesome, uh, pretty awesome dude there, old Polycarp. Uh, what a name, P-O-L-Y-C-A-R-P. Means a lot of carps, I guess. A lot of fish. I don't know what that means. What's that? Plastic carp, polycarp. Yeah, there you go. Uh, a plastic fish. But anyhow, um, yeah, we got to make a little light out because it is pretty serious stuff here. Uh, just to just to be able to get through it. So, uh, but polycarp would not deny Christ, and neither did uh, these other people. So, look in Acts 17 if you got your Bible. And verses 6 and 7. And I haven't forgotten where it was. Why are they Jews but not Jews? We gave a quick answer, but I want to expand that a little bit for you. 17, 6 and 7. And of course, this is a historical record. And when they could not find them, talking about uh, Paul and um, Barnabas, uh, Paul and Silas, sorry. Uh, and when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who've turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The early Christians would not claim any allegiance to any political system except Christ. And they refused to it, and they would be put to death for it because Rome demanded you create allegiance. But that meant to accept their gods. They said, we're not going to do it. Um, so here, we're about to see the synagogue as well, who say they are Jews but are not. Um, the Jews were the opponents of this church. They're opponents of the church in general because uh, Rome saw uh, by 300, it was Constantine in 330, was it? It was 300, 330, I think, when he made Christianity legal. And so it doesn't mean persecution stopped, but it slowed down as far as Rome was concerned. And so these Jewish people were opponents of the church. And John is hinting at here, and the Bible is hinting at that there's a distinction between authentic Jews and physical Jews, or false Jews, if you would. There is a distinction between an inward Jew and an outward Jew. If you were circumcised and you were born into the, the race uh, or the DNA of Jewish people, then you were a Jew outwardly. So the outwardly is all about race and religion and meeting in a synagogue to worship. But inwardly, that you are a Jew, why would you be a Jew inwardly? You what? Why, why would you be a Jew? In, no, no, I mean, why would you call someone a Jew inwardly if you weren't externally a Jew? Yes, they would. Right, it's a culture and a race. 
Right. What, what, is the, what is the nature of what the Jewish people were supposed to be? The fir- who was the first Jew? Let me put it that way. Well, what is distinctive about Abraham? Faith, right. He believed God and counted him righteous. That was what the Jewish people were supposed to be about, right? So if you were a Jew hourly, but you didn't have faith in the Messiah, God don't count that. Just because you were born a Jew don't make you a person of faith. Right? Now you say, uh, okay, you're stretching it. All right, then let's look at a couple of texts. Um, well, at least one. Um, Romans 2. Yeah, I got a couple of texts there. Romans 2. This is my favorite one, and then there's another one we'll take a glimpse at. But Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 2. And Paul defined it, because John doesn't define it here. He just says, they say they're Jews, but they're not. That's all he says. So he hints there's a distinction, but he doesn't tell us what it is. But Paul tells us very plainly what it is. Chapter 2, look down toward the end. Um, It really starts in uh, like verse 25, but we're just going to look at verses, the last two verses, 28 and 29. For no one is a Jew, I'm leaning in, let me, sorry, about the mic there, if you were listening and that hurt your ears. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from men, but from God. So when you think of the word Jewish people as the chosen people of God, That's the saved. And for a Jewish person to be saved, he has to accept Jesus as the Messiah. And if he doesn't, God says, you're not a Jew. You're not a person of God. Because you don't have faith in God's plan of salvation. Um, So this plays into how I look at Revelation because God is made, Paul said in in the book of Ephesians, that God was of all the races of the world making one people in the church. So the church is now the synagogue of Christ, if you want to use that word. And I'll show you uh, another uh, place as soon as I refind it in my notes. My notes are not as distinguished. Um, in Philippians 3.3, we also get a hint about Judaism, and then I'll go on to the synagogue. In Philippians 3 and verse 3. Okay, I'm there, but I can't find the number 3. I'll start at 2 then. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, He's talking about circumcision when he says mutilate the flesh, all right? And we all know what circumcision is. We all have little kids in here, but I don't need to describe it either. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. Why does, and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. To be circumcised and count, see, my parents circumcised me. I'm a person of God. It's like saying, well, my mom and dad got baptized, so I'm a Christian. It doesn't count. And so Paul talked about in Romans about circumcision of the heart. So we know what circumcision does. It exposes the tenderest part of a man. And so the Bible tells us in, in, in Ezekiel that we have a heart of stone and God's going to remove it and give us a heart of flesh. So if circumcision is of the heart, that means that there's this hardened case and God circumcises that away. He cuts it away. And now our heart is open and tender. We are now vulnerable because we've opened our heart to God. You following that? So a Jewish, not a Jewish person, but a true Jew, to use the term, is someone who has been circumcised of heart and is a worshiper of God, according to those two verses, Philippians 3.3 and Romans 2. And then he says they're a member of the synagogue of Satan. So now, very simply, what would the synagogue of Satan be? They gathered on Saturday to to conduct their worship. Paul always went to the synagogues to preach Jesus. 
but they all rejected Christ. And if you reject Christ, there's only two choices, Jesus or Satan. So they're a synagogue of Satan because they rejected the Messiah. Only one place in the Bible is a church called a synagogue, and it's the half-brother Jesus that does it, and it's in James chapter 2, verse 2, um, and which I cannot quote, so let me look. It's right at the end of the book of Hebrews, and by right at the end, I mean there's a hiccup, and then the book of James. No, actually, it's straight into James. Sorry, hiccups at the beginning. Um, my brother showed no partiality. Uh, as you hold faith, uh, the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, and then verse 2, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into, and my Bible translates it, your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. That word assembly is synagogue in that text, but that's the only text that's in. So James just goes to the Jewishness and says, if he comes into your assembly, your synagogue. All right, so that's the only place in the Bible that synagogue is used in place of the word church. Um, just thought I'd throw that in there. So uh, the synagogue uh, of Satan is simply the Jewish people that rejected Jesus. Now, like I said, it's a lot packed in. So we're now at verse 10, which is only the third verse down, 8, 9, 10. And um, this is where I think it really, uh, uh, it, well, it gets good, but it gets scary too. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. So there's a lot there. Why, what, was, what is the nature of prisons in North America? What are we used to when we say the word prison? What, what are we doing when we put somebody in prison? Rehab or punishment, right? Yeah. In their day, you went to, you went to prison to wait for somebody to say, yep, you're guilty, and punish you, Right? Is just a holding place till you get punished. Or you may get set free. That did happen. I'm, I'm kind of joking, but, but I'm also not joking. So he says, some of y'all about to go to prison, and they're going to judge you for being a Christian. That's what's about to happen. Um, and, and so you're going to suffer, basically. It's, it's the idea that they're not going to take that kindly. So he, he predicts that. He tells them it's going to happen. And he says, so that you can be tested. Now, do they need to be tested? I don't know. That's up to the Lord. But obviously, he's saying you're going to be tested, which doesn't mean like you've got to pass the test. It means you're going to experience it. You're going to be proven. Uh, like, I think maybe if y'all would flatten out a few of the hills, I might could run a mile. If you keep it hilly, I probably can't right now. I used to be able to do that. And I would have done it with no sweat, but not now. So... But the test would be if I did it. Now, again, that'd be kind of a pass-fail, but if I did it, I said I tested myself and I can do it. Right? I proved it. So it's more of a you're going to get to prove your faith because they're going to throw you in prison. Just don't give up. Remember, I'm the first and the last. I died and I came back. You can get through this. It's an encouragement to them. But it's also a warning because... I don't like to be surprised, especially when it comes to pain, and especially at a dentist's office, and especially if they're going to stick a needle in my gum, because I don't think gums were made to have needles stuck into them. Oh, I can take the pain of whatever, I had it, just so, just so you know, I had a root canal with no Novocaine once. I asked the guy, said, I saw him coming in, and I said, whoa, wait, do you have to use Novocaine? He said, well, actually... The nerve is dead, and you shouldn't feel it. He said, so you do it because people freak out. He goes, yeah, I said, I don't freak out. He said, well, if I get down there deep enough and it is alive, it's, you're going to come off the chair. I said, okay, then give me the Novocaine. He said, all right. He did the whole root canal, no Novocaine. And guess what? I wasn't numb for five hours afterwards. When he was done, he was done. I went home happy, all right? So I, I don't like that. So, again, Savannah was a baby, and I... I, I was getting my wisdom teeth out, and I started talking to the dentist. Like, I really don't want Novocaine. He said, you got to have it. I said, okay, I understand it's going to hurt. And I started asking, well, why are you doing this? What happens? What's going on? And he's answering me, but he leaves the room, and the nurse says, he hates it when people ask questions. I said, well, I hate it when they don't answer them. <laughs> um, I didn't actually say that, but now I like to make it sound like I did. I said, well, I'd just like to know. And so I told him, I said, I'm sorry. When he came back, I actually said, 
hey, I'm sorry I'm asking so many questions, but I'm curious, I like to learn, I like to know, appreciate you answering it, I like to know. So the last shot, he had to put it in the roof of my mouth. I don't know why, I still don't know why, I don't think he had to, I think he's just aggravated, I don't know, maybe not. <laughs> if you're a dentist, you can correct me later. But he popped that last one in, and he didn't tell me it was coming, and I went, and my fist was right there, and I caught myself. And he, his eyes went big, and he's kind of looking. I went, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry, but I told you, don't surprise me. <laughs> and he surprised me. It just freaked me out. So Jesus come going, I don't want you to be surprised. You're going to prison. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> you may get killed, but don't hang in there. I got you. you know? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of making fun to make the point. But Jesus is warning them it's coming so that they can be prepared to go, yes, I can do this, I know I can. Because you can psych yourself up somewhat, and I know that sounds like, yo, well, you should be spiritual and take it. If somebody's about to hurt you, you're not gonna, well, I'm spiritual, I can take that. No, it, you, you, you're, gonna, you, you're, gonna, you're gonna hurt a little bit. So they're tested by this imprisonment, and, and, and their death is seen, this is Satan's attack. It's a work of Satan to put them in prison and to kill them. Everyone, listen to what I'm saying here. Everyone who professes discipleship to Jesus must be ready to go to prison and lay down his life for the cross. And martyrdom is the final proof that you really believe it because you'll let yourself be killed. A lot of people do deny their faith when they are faced with, with actual death. And maybe... And Prayerfully, none of us will ever face that, but you might. So you, need, so you need to be prepared. What does the 10 days mean? There are four possibilities. It's a short period of time. Number two, it could be um, 10 major Roman persecutions over um, 250 years. There were 10 major times they did this. It could be a 10-year um, persecution through Dioc uh, let me get his name out. Diocle Diocletian, thank you. My handwriting, I was in the car when I was doing some of this, so it was, it's not too good. And then some is a symbolic number signifying a brief but complete persecution ending in death. The most likely is it's just it's a brief time of persecution. You're going you're to go through some, it's only 10 days, don't worry about it. It is a work. I noticed one of the commentators said, well, 10 could be a number of completion. Well, they say seven's a number of completions. They say 12's a number of completions. They say 12's a number of completions. They say 10's a So I wish the numerologists would get their numbers straight. So I, whenever I see that, I go, ah, I heard that about a bunch of other numbers, so I'm not going to go with that one. Um, but these are four things that people use to explain it. I, I go along with the first one. It's a brief time, 10 days. It's not one day, but it's not a month. It's 10 days. You can, you can handle it for 10 days. And according to what you're doing, 10 days can seem like a long time. I would think being in prison, being, being beat on or whatever they did to them would, would be pretty agonizing, right? Um, but, so I'm not making light of it. Yes? Wow, that's true. I didn't, I didn't think about that. That is, that is awesome to think about. The, 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 the boy said, test us for 10 days. Give us just good vegetables and we'll see who looks better after 10 days and they did because it was better diet. that's called the daniel fast by the way you eat like those boys did in the book of daniel um and the bible here mentions the crown of life um back in verse 7 it talks about eternal life um i read a phrase that i'd never heard before and so it really shocked me but then as i looked at it uh they were right this is not exclusive to martyrs you can get a crown of life without dying for christ and it's all who belong to Christ receive the crown of life because it is the crown of life. You're going to keep living. You're not going to die. So I always looked at it as a special reward and um, not saying that they don't deserve a special reward. And we look, go back to James again. In James chapter 1 and verse 12, all who love Jesus receive the crown of life. So if you're following him, you love him, James 1.12 says, and all who love him receive the crown of life. So uh, I, I think it's related, but it is not exclusive, in other words, um, is all I'm saying about that. Um, wow, I'm way down on the page, and I can't, uh, I can't see it anymore. Let me turn, to, turn the page. Um, but what type of crown is it? 
What, is this, what does this crown mean? We only got a couple minutes. We're almost done, so hang in there. What does it mean? I got a verse there for you. You can turn to that verse if you want. What is the nature of this crown? It's what? It, well, yeah, this crown will last forever. But what is it akin to here? He compares it to an athletic crown. What does a kingly crown represent? Position, right? You're a king. You inherit it, so you have a position. An athletic crown, you've done something, and whoever made up the game and made the rules say, you won it. So God made up the game and the rules, and when you win it, you get a crown. And then what do we do with those crowns when we see Jesus? Yeah, we just throw them back to him because we get it. Man, we didn't do that. He did that in us and through us. So it's not a kingly crown. It is, a, it is an athletic-type crown uh, in the sense that we went through the, the trial and succeeded. It's really just an assurance of eternal life. You will receive the crown of life. And, and uh, I'm, I, as I'm getting older, man, suddenly these things just link so many verses now in, in the scriptures as, as through, through the years. Um, and, and we see the tree of life in the garden, and we see Jesus and uh, a lot about life in the Old Testament, but we see um, the water uh, coming out of the rock with Moses, and we see David talking about the Lord leading us to, um, to still water so it doesn't hurt us, but it's still clean. And we come to the New Testament, Jesus said, if you, if you drink the water I give you, you never thirst again. And if you follow me and believe me, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And we, we go to the end of Revelation, the book we're in, and you see the crown of, uh, I mean, the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb, and between the thrones, a river. There's no throne for the Holy Spirit. Where is he? He's the river. He is the river of life. And as it flows out, Revelation describes on either side of it, is the tree of life growing, producing 12 kinds of fruit, one a month, for the healing of the nations. So as we eat the fruit of the tree of life, we live forever. And it is watered by the Holy Spirit. He's the source of life. The Holy Spirit in the Bible is always the completer of God's work. In Genesis 1, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out form, it was void, and the Spirit moved on the face of the deep. But you go to Colossians 1, and if you read that carefully and you figure out the language there, Jesus thought of it. Jesus said, we're going to do it, and Jesus completed it, but he did all the things he did by the power of the Spirit. His conception was obviously by the power of the Spirit. His birth was by the Spirit. His life perfectly lived was by the power of the Spirit. The Bible says in Hebrews, he offered himself on the cross by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, and it is the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead, according to Romans 8. And the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. The Holy Spirit completes everything. So at the end of time, he completes giving us the life. He is the, he is the down payment of that eternal life. And when we go there, we will then eat of the fruit of the tree that he waters. Because isn't it the water and the soil that feeds the tree to produce the fruit? So as the Spirit flows into those trees, right? Amen. My tree man back there. Amen. Brother Kirk. So that fruit is coming from the power of God, and as we eat it, we get that life. Um, what's that? Yes, the Father plans it. Yeah, the, the Father is the authority. Jesus is the planner, and, and the Holy Spirit's the completer. The three in one equal authority and power and dominion, but the Holy Spirit is the mover. He's the one that gets it done for us. Jesus got it done. Jesus is kind of on both sides of this in a sense. I don't know because we can't describe the Trinity. And it's, I don't think it's as distinct sometimes as we make it, but, it is, but they are distinct. Um, so Jesus is between God and men, but, he, but he's also obeying the Father. And the Bible says in Acts 2, having done what he was supposed to do, he received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit and he poured him out on the church. So Jesus receives the the authority, I will say, to give the Spirit to us, and then he does that. So when we want the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, we don't go to the Holy Spirit, we go to Jesus, 
who gives us the Holy Spirit because he's the authority, but the Spirit is the one who comes and does it willfully, gladly, but the vow says, but don't grieve the Spirit. Don't, don't you know, do that. And then he talks, of, yeah, go ahead. What's that? Yeah, in a sense, he does have the authority, but he, but he acts in the, by the authority of Christ, yeah. We don't command, we don't command angels or the Spirit. You know, you, you see a lot of people, you know, we, we, talking to angels and talking, you know, you, you go to Christ. Jesus, well, let me, put, let, me make, let me simplify it. I'm making it complicated. Let me simplify it. 2 Corinthians 1. Everything, every promise that may be through Christ, we give the, we, we, we get it. It is yes in Christ, and by the Spirit, we say amen. So it comes because of the authority of Christ and that he won it for us on the cross. He won the right to give us the, the inheritance of the Father, and then by the Holy Spirit who comes to us, we say amen. So it, it kind of, that makes it a little sim more simple. Without Christ, we don't get it. But when Christ gives it, it comes to us through the Spirit. And so it is his authority, but the Spirit has the power to work. Um, which, since, since it's impossible for God to act out of character to himself, all of them would have the same authority and ability, but for whatever reason, they reveal this is how they work to us. And may we get to heaven and they go, well, I hope you all understood that because, uh, you know, here we are. And then the last thing there, he talks about the first and the second death. I think you would get this. What is the first death? Physical death. What's second death? Spiritual death. Yeah, if you don't know Christ. And so uh, uh, the, the text here, we uh, are rescued not only from the first death. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He just said about the crown of life. The one who conquers, and what is the word conquer? It, over and over he says he who conquers. It's the one who stays faithful to the end is the conqueror. Not the one who lives through it, but the one who will not give in to it. So you may die for your faith, but you conquered because they couldn't get you to change. All right, do you understand that? Because we, we as Americans think, who got the biggest score? Well, they may get the biggest score. They may kill all of us. But if we don't deny Christ, we won. They could not break us. You understand? Okay, so he says, we'll not be hurt by the second death. So if you stay faithful to the end, you won't die spiritually. And Jesus taught about this, Matthew 10, 28. And we'll read that, and I'll at least be done with the official portion of the evening. Um, sorry, uh, this Bible is not well broken in yet, so it still takes me a minute. Should have marked it, I guess. Uh, Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So, uh, actually, I learned that as a kid. That's a, good, that's a good verse. All right, any other questions or comments? That was, a, that was still kind of lecture I tried to include you better. For me, that was really good, okay? I don't say I did good, but for me, it was really good. Any questions or any other, any other things? Next week we get to Pergamum. So uh, that's one of those words you, you want to keep going. That's just try to say it. Y'all ever, you ever heard of Tocoa, Georgia? Pastor Bobby went to college at, at Tocoa Falls College, yeah. And we had some people that went there. And it's really hard to say going to Tocoa and getting stopped on those. It's going to Tocoa. To so uh, that's how I feel about Pergamum. <laughs> You kind of like can't get the brakes on. All right. So uh, do some research and study and come back next week and go, wait a minute, Pastor, I was reading something that said, and that'll be, that'll be awesome. And I'll go, hey, why don't you come teach? No, I won't do that. Uh, you, but you can absolutely do that. Uh, you do some research as well. Uh, let, well, let's pray then. Father God, in Jesus' name, again, um, we are so glad. Uh, we, we didn't take much time to apply this to us, but we may suffer. We may suffer persecution. It could happen tomorrow. Um, we may actually have some type of real persecution. Um, but Lord, we as a church ought to be ready for it, and we as a church ought to be willing to receive it and to live through it uh, or to take it uh, as a testimony of your faithfulness and your grace that, that uh, we will not be moved or changed because of the threats of men, 
for we fear God more than we fear men. And Lord, may that be true. Uh, that is what the Bible tells us, that we ought to fear you more than we fear men, but unfortunately, sometimes that's not true in our lives. So, Lord, we, we cry out to you to help us, to strengthen us, and to make us think about these things. This is a warning not only to the church there in Smyrna, but to us, that we live in a, in a, in a place now, Lord, we see demonic uh, worship and temples and things raised up in this country now. Uh, just, uh, we haven't heard the full report, but uh, just in, in, for everybody in here talking privately to those who went to Maine, uh, Lord, they, they saw just open demonism there and, and were faced with, with um, knowing that demonic presences were there. And they had to find places of refuge to get a, a relief from it. Uh, so, Lord, help us to understand that we're in a fight and a war. There is a fight and a war. Whether we're engaged or not, it's happening. And so may we be engaged in the, in the battle for men's souls. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.